0: From Bravery Media, this is Thought Feeder. My name is Joel Goodman. With me, as always, is the vivacious John Stephen Stansel, And we are super excited to have Brianne Fleming on the show today. Brianne, welcome. Thanks for being here. Yeah,
1: thank you for having me. I know I've interviewed John Stephen on my podcast before, so I'm happy to uh, to return the favor and, and be a guest today. Thank you both for having me.
2: We're definitely excited to have you here. And, and for our guests that aren't familiar with you, which Is a mistake on their part, but nonetheless, (laughs) uh, would you mind just give everybody a kind of brief introduction, who you are, what you do, uh, et cetera, et cetera.
1: I teach branding and social media at the University of Florida. I've been doing that for about five years. And I also do some freelancing on the side. But I think the people on Twitter know me kind of as the, the pop culture girl, I guess you could say. I love to create content about the intersection between marketing and pop culture and to use moments in pop culture to share those marketing lessons and kind of package that education in a different way, which I also try to do occasionally in my courses. I have a new course that I just developed this semester for UF called social media and pop culture, and it's all about being nimble and adapting to trends and memes and all those fun things. So, so yeah. That's me in a nutshell.
2: Excellent. I'm so excited to have you here today to talk about just that because that's kind of where where my career is headed a little bit and working with fandoms and fan cultures and, and things like that and also thinking of how that can translate back to higher ed. Uh, and, and how higher ed can learn so much from pop culture and fandoms and learn some lesson, lessons there. So first, would you might tell us, when did you realize that you could translate? Like, it's such an interesting position to be in, like, where you can translate your love of pop culture as an effective tool to explain marketing concepts and strategies.
1: Yeah, you know, I say I got there by kind of reflecting on who I was and the things that I love versus trying to reinvent myself. That was a mistake I made when I left the corporate world and I doubled down on teaching and I was like, okay, now I'm going to freelance. I'm going to try to build something for myself. And I hadn't done that yet. And I started off by just kind of trying to be like this buttoned up marketing professional and kind of blending in. And I was like, "This, this isn't who I am offline. I, I grew up reading my teeny bopper magazines and I always credit Tiger Beat and Teen Beat and all of those magazines for leading me down this creative path that I've been on because I'd always kind of consume those a little bit differently than the other girls at the sleepovers. You know, we would hang the posters on the walls, but I would really pore over those and look at the layouts and the the ads, the photography, the the copy, and just think this is what I want to do. So I later went on and I studied advertising and PR and I've just, I always knew I wanted to do something creative. So it was really just getting back to who I have always been instead of kind of putting this facade on, uh, which I did make that mistake when I first started freelancing, but I'm happy to be back to my true self.
2: Exactly. That's a wonderful point too. Of like, I, I think also when I was first like having the forays into what the personal branding, which I roll my eyes at, but it's still important. Like <laughs> I just, I want a new name for it. I want a new name for it. But like <laughs> you, you start out with this kind of buttoned up, like, Oh, I need to be professional. I need to be all of that. But like, or, or niche down you see on, on TikTok, like find your niche and just stick to it. But like, you've got to show your personality and what you care about as well. And like, if you can incorporate that into your work, it's, it's so, so helpful. Um, so yeah, I, I applaud you for doing that. I love, you know, if you're not I don't get to pop into Pop Chat as often as I would like, but Fridays, uh, Brienne hosts Pop Chat, which is absolutely amazing. I'm, I'm, I don't have a question; I'm just gushing about how awesome Brienne is. <laughs> so, one thing I've been thinking about a lot lately, um, with with just in general, is, is working with fandoms and how marketers can learn from fandoms. And you being very much of the the Backstreet Boy boy band fandom, which is an area I know nothing about. <laughs> what can marketers learn from from those fandoms and, and in a way of like turning audiences that are passive into engaged fans?
1: Yeah, well, I always credit, honestly, the Backstreet Boys for teaching me about brand loyalty. They were my first loves, I guess you could say. And, you know, at every sleepover growing up, it was always Backstreet Boys are in sync and they created this this competition. And a lot of people don't know that. Maybe you guys don't know this either, but that was actually kind of a man-made rivalry. So the man who helped put the Backstreet Boys together, his name is Lou Perlman, he realized sooner or later there was going to be competition. Coke was going to have Pepsi. And he said to himself, why don't I create that competition myself? So he went around and actually created In Sync and kind of stabbed Backstreet in the back a little bit. But it was kind of brilliant on his on his part. It turns out that he was a con man, and he went to prison, and he was cheating both, man, both bands out of millions of dollars, and he ended up dying in prison. Um, so I don't know. Maybe something there. <laughs> something about brand loyalty.
0: I'm having flashbacks to the O-Town uh, TV series where he was like... <laughs> I am a proponent of like nobody is a perfect
2: role model. Like one of my Mm -hmm. my favorite books is this giant series about Lyndon Johnson, which LBJ was a wonderful president, terrible man. There's a lot of lessons we can learn from it from him, uh, both good and bad. Like you sometimes you need negative role models. Right. But how smart it is to own both sides of that rivalry, Mm -hmm. but also understand like. You need your villain, too. Like, mm. you 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 need, you know, that competition. I think universities can learn a lot from that. Like, I've always wanted, like, more rivalry of the next school. Like, even though it's fun, like...
1: Yeah, it keeps that conversation going. But I think for both bands, I mean, if, if you're a brand and you have your competition, and you're always thinking about what they're doing and trying to outdo them. I think what has helped both bands, I mean as a backstreet girl, I'm a little biased. I mean, they're, they're still out touring nearly 30 years later and they've always just tried to stay the course. They never tried to really let the in-sync thing get in their heads. And I think that's a a good lesson for people and brands is to not really compare yourself to the competition. Just always stay true to who you are, your differentiators and double down on those. And that's, what's going to make you, um, shine and and keep moving forward
0: I mean that and and that predates I mean it predates the boy bands I mean you think back to like the Oasis and Blur rivalries it during the height of Britpop it's the exact same thing and it was created not necessarily by the person that created those bands because they actually came up a lot more organically but it was created by the music media by the news media that was covering these things and turned into something that actually on the band side like they didn't want that they didn't want to deal with it they just wanted to to own their little corner Um, and that's, that's, uh, yeah, it's, it's a, it's a good lesson to pull out of of, uh, history. The media
1: loves to pit people against each other. I I think back to like the Britney versus Christina days and just how no pun intended, how toxic all of that was at the time, kind of pinning all the blonde bombshells against each other. And yeah, we're always going to have competition, but I think even with that group too, you know, thinking about the Jessica Simpsons, the Mandy Moore is Mandy Moore is an actress now super successful. And it's just like. You know they let the media kind of get in their heads then but i think now all of them have kind of come into their own and it's really nice to see we
2: could easily make this like an all music episode um
0: but <laughs> I can
1: bring you into my I mean, world let's do
0: it <laughs> I'm, I'm good with it i will say that uh that our producer carl and i road tripped uh out to out to hyatt webb this year uh from austin to little rock and we uh we definitely had a, a stint where we were just listening to to 90s pop hits uh for a good like three hours uh, on the road so I can't fight it I, <laughs> I i didn't necessarily do that to prep for this show but it's coming in <laughs> handy because it's all it's all fresh in my mind let's yeah. dive into it a
2: little bit more uh, one thing i i spend a lot of time doing in, in my profession my, my job now which i can't talk most about because i'm under like 50 nta's <laughs> to get into specifics but like diving into fandoms and, and and learning from them and then making data-driven decisions based upon what they say so what 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 can universities and, and other brands in general do like to to better listen to those fans and those conversations and communities and then make actionable changes based upon that information
1: yeah I think that is all about, incorporating them and involving those fans. I think a lot of mistakes that, um, you know, people may make or brands may make is, is just constantly talking at your fans when you have these, these fervent audiences that are so vocal, they want to share, they have their own stories, they have um, ways to connect with each other and bond with other fans. And I think just fueling uh, off that that conversation and that passion, I mean, what more could you want? Um, you know, compared to you know product-based or service-based businesses, where it's hard to get them to to a true fandom level, but universities. I mean, you have this amazing audience of ambassadors, people who automatically love you the moment they step on campus. So double down on that love and involve those audiences would be my advice.
2: For sure. I, I think that's a, an opportunity universities are really missing on. Like we, they, uh, you get it on the athletic side because it feels more organic and natural, like you have sports fans. But like I think academic departments can have fans and have a fandom if you just listen and give them what they want. Um, and, and we talk about brands in, in general too. There's a whole section of fandom for like scented candles. They're called fandles. Oh, are, are you familiar with that? Like,
1: no, uh,
2: you're not in your has like, yeah, are you a fandal? Like <laughs> <laughs> they have their own. It, it, so if there can be a community centered around scented candles, which I love all day long, I wouldn't say I'm a fandal, but like, <laughs>
0: How many you got in your office right now, J.S.? Um, I, 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 I keep one out, and then I've got a few, like...
1: What are the scents? Are they, like, are they like sports-scented candles? or Are they supposed to smell like your stadium, or, like, what?
2: No, they are, like, fans of, like, Yankee Candles or Colonial Home or whatever. Like, they are, uh, like, really big on it. But if, if, if they can build a community around candles, you can do it for your university's comparative literature department. It can be done.
1: I mean... When you put it that way, I mean it's so true. Like every university genuinely has fans already. Like not every company can say, Yeah, we have a fan base, but it's true for universities. So that's a really special, um something really special that they could tap into for sure.
2: Exactly. It's like if with a university, it's not it, well, for for the most part, it's not an impulse buy, right? It's not people aren't <laughs> yeah. just like OK, I guess I'll go there tomorrow and enroll and, and, and spend the next four years. They have active and they may not it may not be your first choice, may not be your second or third choice. But you took the time to apply, do all the work to get on campus. So you're going to be, a, you know, you, you're you kind of primed to want to be it. So you don't get buyer's remorse. Right.
0: With, with fandom, though, like on a higher ed level. Right. I think, you know, when we're not talking about athletics. The difficulty, at least in my mind, is these roadblocks in how institutions tend to want to communicate with, like as themselves, right? It's like, it's, I think it goes back to the, you know, the authenticity and kind of the, you know, being really genuine with the the fit that you have in in your work, like you said earlier, Brianne. And so I, I'm wondering like how to balance that. So, and, and Brianne, you're in a unique position because you actually teach. And so you're kind of, uh, you're kind of in a position that I think historically uh, would be considered like one of those roadblocks to having like really good authentic communication. And I'm wondering like how, like if you have tips for, uh, I mean, one, I guess, like other other instructors, you know, at at the university level, but maybe even the the folks in the marketing departments and, uh, you know, the, especially like the social media folks that are they're trying to like amplify this stuff. How to kind of work to make sure that the the instructors, the the professors, the department heads, whoever like wants to you know put their voice on it, isn't coming across as like super cringe. Um, and, and can be authentic and, and in a way that actually does generate that fandom, because I think there's, it's hard if your niche is just like, you know, like JS having, having his masters in, uh, in creative writing and everything else It's like, that's a, that's pretty niche. Like, I mean, you're not necessarily, it's not people that are, you know, that are screaming and going to, to book signings and, and mm. acting like you would for like you know, a, a boy band or, or, you know, a, a movie star or something like that. Yeah. I don't know. What do you, th- what do you think about how to, how to pull that humanity out of, out of uh, a traditionally non, <laughs> non-human sounding, a uh, little, a yeah. <laughs> little sector of the yeah. industry?
1: I gotcha. I mean, I think back to 5 years ago when I first started teaching and I would probably cringe at the way <laughs> I lectured and the way I delivered these these concepts and I think over the years I've started to see it more as an opportunity to entertain and I think that's that's a good reminder is you're not just you're not just sharing concepts you have to make them feel passionate about it and you have to also make them interested so your passion needs to be contagious so i've started mm. injecting more just speaking from the heart a little bit more and yeah. incorporating humor more and real life experiences good and bad um just to bring that authenticity instead of being you know this like strict professor type and i think it's not only something the students appreciate, but even me as a professor, like it breaks the ice. And I think if more, more educators, more higher ed professionals just stopped, you know, building it up in their heads that talking to students is is so hard, you know, it's, it's, you know, a different generation or whatever it is. Like, just have fun with it and try to entertain it and be, be human, share, like I said, share the, the good and bad, break the ice and it's, it's always appreciated if you're just yourself, unless you're boring, then you gotta, (laughs) then you gotta step it up, tell a joke, learn some, uh, take a improv class or something. But yeah, I see it more as, as entertaining, um, these days and it it really helps.
2: Yeah. Well, I think it comes down to like for, for faculty, like sharing your passions, like nobody, nobody gets a PhD in, you know, uh, I'm always. I'd never want to pick on anybody. I'm trying to think of like the most boring thing to a PhD in, but no, nobody does that unless they actually enjoy it and care about it, and then go on to teach it to others. So like you might go, okay, nobody cares about what I, but you care about it. So share it in a way that shows that.
1: And that's something I take to heart because when I get my, um, instructor evaluations back every semester, I'm always holding my breath for like something bad. But what consistently, um, a consistent theme that I take a lot of pride in is that they do like a little word cloud of like the most common words that students say. And, and every semester For for my reviews, enthusiastic is the biggest word, and I I take that with me because I hope that my enthusiasm is contagious and that it it inspires them to be enthusiastic about this field and to share that with their teams and with other people. So if you're enthusiastic about it, I think it's going to come more naturally, and your your students will feel that.
2: Well, it definitely comes across on your Twitter account, so I can only (laughs) imagine it being like amplified (laughs) times 10 in the classroom. (laughs) I kind of want to take a a little... Turn here, but because I want to address this a little bit on, on the reinventing with Mindy podcast, you mentioned that you struggled early in your solo career, with imposter syndrome. Now, I want to address this because, like, I, I want our listeners to understand that even those people that they that they they see online who are doing cool things, putting themselves out there. Also get imposter syndrome and have to deal with it. So, would you address a little bit about that and, and what, what you've done to, to address your imposter, imposter syndrome in the past?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think I've just stopped comparing. Um, you know, even even to this day, I think I, I've gotten better with my imposter syndrome, and I've just kind of let things fly and you know been okay with okay, if this flops, fine whatever. But I think no matter what stage you're at, we're always going to compare. So I try to just kind of, like I said earlier, just stay the course, be myself. That's the best I can do. Um, the other thing that I always advise or something that I've struggled with a lot is I thought when building your personal brand, that Opportunities are—you're just going to be like a magnet, and opportunities are going to flood your inbox. And I see people like this all the time, like, "Oh my gosh, you know, I'm I'm double booked, I'm booked and busy, or uh, you know, I'm I'm doing this, I'm doing that, I'm speaking at this, I have this opportunity." And I think for me, I I, I expected that, and I thought that's you know, if I just tweet a couple times a day, my inbox is going to be flooded, and that hasn't been the case. So I've stopped kind of waiting for people to to ring my doorbell and and call me up and, and invite me to things. And I've been more accepting of just pitching myself and going after things that I want instead of waiting for people to approach me. I'm going to just take matters into my own hands and be proactive and use my personal brand as evidence of what I can do when I, when I do that pitch. So I've stopped kind of resting on my laurels. And I think that's something that, that fed my imposter syndrome. And I'm, I'm okay with, with being proactive and pitching myself if that's going to help me get to to where I want to go. So I've been doing that more recently.
0: I think that's a great point. A lot of people miss the, I think in, in the age of like influence and, and celebrity and, uh, you know, having just like closer access than we've ever had to these things, you know, in the, in the last like 50 years, that's one of those things most people don't realize that it actually is really hard work to build your own brand, your own, uh, your own following your own momentum. And it's not for most people, it's not, it's not this magic thing that like, yeah, you just start talking and people come and say, you gotta be a, I don't know, you got to, Some people can do that, but it's it's really not that many and it is a grind. And so I think it's a super good reminder, Brianne, that like when things don't just happen, it's actually probably not you. (laughs) Like in most cases, it's not you Um, or or what it is, is that it's not you personally. It's just it needs a little bit more work um, because it's I mean, there's the noise. There's like, you know, there's everything else that that we have to deal with today. It's really hard to find those those opportunities
2: but also with like personal branding, it's, it's a constant learning process, right? Like, mm-hmm. you know, finding what works and finding your audience and, and, and tweeting and writing in a way that, or finding the platform that works for you. And, and, you know, it's a continuous thing. And then on top of that, like, once you get to a point we, we talked about this in a previous episode, like when I hit 10,000 followers on Twitter, like I had like a panic attack, like because it wasn't going the way, like I would tweet things and not everybody loved me all the time, all of a sudden. And Uh, there were people that were like, you know, and, and it's like, okay, learning to deal with that and moving on. And, and, you know, so it's a continuous learning process. And then sometimes the imposter syndrome is a little healthy. Like from time to time I have to pause and go, you know, why does anybody care what a, you know, and it's tough, but like you, you kind of need to do it from time to time too.
1: Yeah. I mean, you say that it reminds me, um, there's something weird. Like when you hit a certain follower count or when you get to a certain level of success, it's like people suddenly think that's permission to, to treat them poorly. And like you suddenly oh, yeah. get to become a, a punching bag. Last night I was watching dancing with the stars. Cause I'm, I love that show. Um, but Charlie D'Amelio is on it and she did this incredibly moving dance that, um, kind of symbolized her, uh, her journey with anxiety and how all of a sudden she was under this microscope, this microscope with millions and millions of followers and how, you know, she's experienced anxiety because of it. And you know, how her comment section can be such a dark place. And it's like, you know, some people are like, yeah, but she signed up for that, you know, by, you know making all these videos and building this audience. And like, that's not an excuse to, to be a bad human (laughs) to treat doesn't deserve that, you know? So I don't know. It's a double-edged sword sometimes.
2: I I think about this a lot. Like, you know, just talking about what brands do on social. And like, sometimes we see things that we're like, oh man, that's really off. But like, there's a, we know there's a person behind that and there it's a small community, but also you sometimes like, I really want to comment on and there's yeah. part of my brain that wants to pick it apart, so it's um, yeah. You, we have to remember that there are real people behind all of these things, not just personal brands, but brands themselves. Right. Um, and and and, uh, and approach it in a way that we can we can make criticism, but in a way that is constructive. I don't know. It's it's right. hard to do. In
1: kind, yeah, it is right. hard.
2: Okay, Brianne. You, you do so many things. You, you teach at UF. <laughs> you consult for brands. You, you host a podcast, a successful Twitter chat. Like every Friday I, I see that. And like I'm in the middle of like 50 million things. I'm like, how, how is Brienne having time oh to do gosh. this? Because I would love to pop in and like answer a few questions. But I'm like, oh, I, 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 got, I got to do this. So
1: that's one of the rules, pop in at any time. That's why it's called Pop Chat.
2: So <laughs> what advice do you give to others who want to create more things but feel like they are limited in their time and scope?
1: Yeah. I mean, I will start by just saying personally, that's what teaching has afforded me. I started teaching just one class while I was still working part-time. And then I got to a point where I wanted to go out on my own, try to create my own things. And I was like, oh my gosh, but I, I'm i unemployed, I guess you can say. like I'm just teaching this one class. I don't have a corporate job. So I did Kind of get into this panic mode and i contacted uf i was like i need more classes <laughs> help me because it was that that imposter syndrome started sinking in i didn't know if i could do this if i could freelance i had no audience nothing built um but for me that's what the teaching has done is because i do teach online it kind of uh, gives me that flexibility to teach in the evenings teach on my specific days and and keep that going but it gives me the time to kind of create and have these side projects and build the podcast. And, you know, a lot of these projects aren't to where I want them to be yet, but I've been able to kind of balance those two. So I think as far as for other people trying to find the time, I, I think about this a lot within the context of social media professionals and how the last thing they want to do is do social for themselves and, and build their personal brands. And what I always tell them is to frame your online presence as your outlet, not necessarily as a chore, as something else you have to do, use it as a place to connect with other people, maybe even vent about your frustrations occasionally in in a safe way that doesn't, you know, um, come back to your employer or nothing too negative, but use it to, to connect with other people and help and, um, you know, we could help each other through it. So I think if you start seeing it as your outlet versus just one more thing that you have to do, you'll look forward to building your personal brand and it won't feel so time consuming and like a to do.
2: Exactly. Like it, you know, I, not every day, most days (laughs) I I look forward to like showing up on Twitter and like, and and talking about what I do. Like, it's not a chore. It's something that like, Oh, I, I want to do. And it's kind of develops into a habit where it's like, Oh, you know, I, I haven't put something out there today Let's you know, good or bad, let's just, let's just do it, you know, and it becomes something that you look forward to rather than like feel, oh, I got to get on there today. There are those days on Twitter though, but it's just because it's Twitter.
1: <laughs> yeah. I think that's the only way to keep going. Cause if it just feels more like work, then also it probably means you're not being authentic. Cause when I was like, okay, today I want to write about the Spice Girls and what they could teach us about brand purpose because (laughs) I'm a geek and a fangirl and I can, and that's what I want to talk about today versus, you know, building it up into something that doesn't need to be and isn't true to you. You have to stay true to you and that's going to keep you going.
2: Right. And I, I think, I think for me, like, I think one of the main reasons I started was I, you know, I, I didn't feel like I was in a position at work where I could do the things I felt you could do on social. There's so many approval layer, so many things you could do. And it's like, well, I've got my own account and I can just run that how I see fit and like try all of these things, Mm -hmm. see what happens and, um, you know, and, and do it that way. And that was an exciting outlet for me of like, okay, you know, I can actually do these things that I want to do and I control it. Nobody, I don't have, I'm the end of the approval process. (laughs) That's great. You know? If, if I say something stupid, it's totally my fault and no one else's. So, it's, you know, it's not like I'm putting out a, a statement from the president that's going to get beaten up.
1: I've been feeling that even just on LinkedIn lately, too. I'm just like, you know what? We could talk about the Backstreet Boys on LinkedIn. It's fine. I, if anyone could do it, it would be me. I'm going to I'm going to go there. So, you know, it makes it. More fun. LinkedIn
2: needs that. Yeah. I have started posting on LinkedIn more. Um, mostly. Mostly because I got tired of other people copying and pasting mine and like not giving me (laughs) credit for it or (laughs) like getting plagiarized so many times there. I'm just like, okay, I'm just going to duplicate my Twitter on LinkedIn, whatever fits, you know, but I I think there's like kind of a bit of a a LinkedIn renaissance happening right now, at least for marketers who are getting, getting on there and and finding community there and also
0: breaking the LinkedIn mold. Here's my theory. Here's my theory, JS. I think, uh. I think we all got so tired of just seeing the, oh, I'm very excited to report this amazing life change that I'm going to have, you know, or like the the really like canned uh, marketing self-help stuff where it's a fake story that obviously didn't happen to the person. And so like those of us that actually care or like grew up like in social media from the beginning when it was actually about authenticity and being social and like having community are just like nah screw that and we jump in and and are trying to be like actual humans on that platform where it feels like everyone there is just posturing all the time um so that's my theory and we need more of it like we need more we need more just personal interests we need more you know like geekdom that's not You know, typical like web geek type stuff like, you know, like like your pop culture geekdom, Brianne, like we need that stuff on LinkedIn because (laughs) it brings it brings a lot more humanity to a platform that has felt for the last 10 years to be not uh, human at all. But that's that's my theory.
1: <laughs> yeah. You know, I always try to bring it back and tell you why it's relevant and why it belongs there. It's not just like celebrity gossip and stuff, but that's a good theory. And, and I think my theory is that the pandemic had a little something to do with it. Just us being a lot more casual, letting our hair down. Everyone's working from home. Everyone's going through this together. And I think we saw that reflected on on LinkedIn a little bit. It felt a little homier and, and less um, less corporate, I guess you could say. I'm having fun over there.
2: Well, and too, I think there's been a lot of backlash against, like, those corporate posts, too, where, like, okay, well, if we're not doing that, what are we doing? Yeah. You know? And I'm still kind of at a loss. Like, I'm trying to figure it out. And, like, I don't want it to just be copy and paste from Twitter, but, like, I also don't want to be that, like, hard return guy that, like. Yeah. But that's what works there. So I'm, I'm like, if you see something cr- that's cringe for me on, on, on LinkedIn, I'm just experimenting <laughs> to see what works. You know, like, okay, here's a, you know, okay. Unfollowed. unfollowed. Yeah. Um, but that that's an, another thing of like where if you're just starting out with your personal brand, you have so much freedom because there aren't as many people looking at you and you have a freedom to make those mistakes. But once you hit a certain threshold of followers, that's like, okay. Yeah. Uh,
1: And I think what we need over there, I mean, as far as incorporating the humanity is just more of sharing the story of how you got to where you are more, more personal things, because those reflect in your career as well. Because I, I remember one of my favorite, maybe just most memorable, memorable posts when I think about LinkedIn is this. Um, former colleague of mine, I hadn't spoken to her in maybe two years, but I saw she showed up on LinkedIn and she shared her weight loss story. She had lost like 150 pounds and everyone was, was rooting for her. It was like as if she got, you know, the promoted to the C-suite, it was that same kind of, um, you know, congratulations and just bonding, but it was a personal story that wasn't directly tied to work, but it was her well-being and, you know, her overall health. And it was really great to see. And I just remember it was so refreshing to see that on LinkedIn. And I'd love to know more about kind of those personal journeys that people are going through, um, on LinkedIn that speak volumes for who you are at work and what you're able to achieve. I think it'd be really great.
2: Exactly, exactly I think your personal thing those things like that it, it translates like are it, it yeah. the, those those lines between work and and life balance and your personal life just get so blurred we're working from home now and you know our you know my, my Twitter account I, I think is both per- personal and professional and I think showing that on on LinkedIn is, is is helpful too like your interests help you with your work many times yeah. Brian you want to play a game?
1: Oh, boy. I'm usually bad at games, but.
0: Okay. Well, this, this one is tailor-made for you. <laughs> it's okay. super low stakes. Okay. 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 Uh, we're, we're calling this game Finish the Lyric. Um, all, oh all these lyrics are going to be from Backstreet Boys songs.
1: Okay. Um, oh my and they'll gosh. range
0: in difficulty from basic to mega fan. But like I said it was low stakes, right? Okay. So that means like no matter what happens, we're going to send you a thought feeder coffee mug um okay. and JS is going to handwrite you a note.
1: My imposter syndrome is at an all-time high right now cuz if I don't know this, I am definitely an imposter cuz this is like my entire Well,
0: we can now. we can always edit it out and like I said, <laughs> you still get the coffee mug. Okay, we'll, okay. we'll blame it on we'll blame it on me
2: because like I, I will I will uh, sorely admit that the Backstreet Boys hit their heyday when I was in the prime of my music snob days, which I'm not proud of. I'm very ashamed, uh, so I never really listened to Backstreet Boys because I was too like high fidelity John Cusack character. But I get
1: it. that that
2: well, no, 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 that was that was BS. That shouldn't have happened. Right? <laughs> Let P- enjoy different things. Like yeah. So anyhow, that's if I could go back to my my twenty year old self, I would be like, dude, just lighten up and and get that Justin Timberlake album. It's good. All right, so but I've, I haven't
0: heard many of these songs, so my, my reading will be very flat. Okay. So, so bonus point if you can if you can name the album it comes off of, or okay. if you can't name the song, you know, uh, you could just name the song too okay. like if, if you can't, yeah. So
1: I'm gonna have to say All right,
0: go jazz. Now, now I can see that we're falling apart.
1: I want it that way from the way that it used to be. I mean, everyone knows that. But yeah, I want I, it that I way. wouldn't
2: know that. <laughs> I, I just know that the chorus. Way. I know the chorus. That. That's
0: it.
1: I can tell you that's Kevin's part that's on I Want It That Way off the Millennium album. This is the song that they always show people like singing on the subway or recently the Yankee game got rained out and everyone was just singing this to wait for the rain delay to be to be over. It It's a very healing, unifying song.
2: <laughs> all right. Number two, I may run and hide when you're screaming my name. All right
1: hmm. That's Larger Than Life. That's Brian's verse. That's the opening verse. <laughs> it's off Millennium. Uh, that is uh, one of the most expensive music videos of all time. If you're interested in wow. that. factoid, Really? Yeah. Uh-huh. How
2: did it compare to Scream by Michael Jackson?
1: Ah, uh, good question. We'll have to, I wonder. We'll have to get a yeah. fact check on I that. remember that
2: one being the, I, yeah, uh, that one yeah. being so like it's it's such on a big a list. deal. Yeah. yeah, I'm curious now. Now, like, and I'm not to put you on the spot, but like now i wondering. Like, oh, <laughs> that was a cool video. All right, yeah. last one. Uh, and these are, like, Carl. Do not use these for sound bites. Uh, <laughs>
1: oh, man.
2: Listen, baby. I'm sorry. I just want to tell you. Don't worry.
1: Yeah, that's the call. That's off the Black and Blue album.
2: Three out of three. For the win,
1: <laughs> but JS, you do know that Justin Timberlake is in NSYNC, sync, right? That was.
0: <laughs> he, no, he, I don't. Th- he didn't. He didn't oh my know gosh. that. He didn't know that.
1: <laughs> I had to correct you That's- on that. <laughs> <laughs> so much to teach you. So much to teach yeah, you.
0: Yeah, <laughs> I
2: totally missed out on that fandom. It's that was. Fine.
1: It's fine. It's fine. You I can-, can
2: name all the
0: original members of Wilco if you're down with that. <laughs> okay.
1: Okay. We'll we'll come back for that trivia. It's yeah. fine. It's what, fine.
0: What about Uncle Tupelo, JS? Oh, what about Uncle Tupelo, dude? I had a beer with Jeff Tweedy, so I heard this story. Yeah, all yeah. right. Very <laughs> jealous.
1: <laughs> Congratulations. You. Thank you.
0: <laughs> oh, good homework. I, yeah, I was going to give you it. some
1: homework because so this is just what I do. I guess I give everyone homework, but um, Lance Bass from Insync, one of the members of Insync, actually did an entire documentary about the. Um, you know, the rivalry and the Ponzi scheme and Lou Pearlman and how he pitted them against each other and how he went to jail. There's a whole documentary about that. It's called the boy band con. I think it's good family TV. If you are interested, it's just, it's just a good kind of juicy documentary to begin with, even if you're not into boy bands and maybe you like kind of the drama of that. So highly recommend (laughs) <laughs> that
2: sounds right up my alley. Because as somebody who who's, who's only played D and D a couple of times, but I have read three different biographies of Gary Gygax, the creator of D and I yeah. I like, I don't do the thing, but I love ev- all the research around the thing.
1: Okay, so, yeah, I, get I, I'm, into I'm it. all for that. I made my parents watch it, and they liked it. I made my husband watch it, and he liked it. So I think it has that you know that drama and juicy stuff that could appeal to anyone. <laughs>
0: Amazing! Well, well congratulations, Brienne. Three out of three. We're sending you a mug and uh, <laughs> a handwritten note from JS that um, you probably won't be able to read because apparently his handwriting's awful. <laughs> so horrible.
2: <laughs> Brienne, so great to have you on the show. It's good to talk to you again. Uh, we we interact on Twitter quite often, but it's nice to actually be sort of face to face. So, uh, but but for, for those of us uh, those listening who aren't familiar with your work, and they they find you, you're, you're you're all over the place. So so. Let people know where they can find you.
1: Oh, thank you. I'm I'm trying. I'm trying to keep up with the consistency. That's that's the drawback of trying to be in so many places. But um, yeah, I'm on Twitter at Brianne2k, like y 2k? Because I love that era. Uh, PopChat is a Twitter chat that discusses marketing lessons from pop culture trends. That's every Friday at 1 p.m. Eastern. Um, I also have my own podcast called Making the Brand. Um, which you could check out as well. But this was so fun. I have an episode with JS about superheroes and comics and all those geeky things. So that was a world that I didn't know too much about. So, you know, it's it's educational all around, right? We're bringing each other into uh, <laughs> different fandoms and um, learning so much. So thank you all so much for having me.
0: Thank you for listening to the Thought Feeder podcast. And a very special thanks to Brianne Fleming for being with us today. Again, thank you, Brianne.
1: Thank you, I had a blast.
0: Again, you can find Brienne on Twitter at Brienne2K and check our website, ThoughtFeederPod.com for the transcript that will have also all of the links that she mentioned and probably some more. You can also find us on Twitter at ThoughtFeedPod and we've got, uh, oh and I already said, we have transcripts for everything on, on our website as well. ThoughtFeeder is produced and edited by Carl Gratiot and hosted by John Stephen Stancil and me, Joel Goodman. If you're a fan of the show and feeling generous, we'd really appreciate a review or a subscription into the show on your preferred podcast listening platform uh, especially apple music because i'm pretty sure like apple Podcasts is the one place you can actually leave a review these days uh, but it does really help people find us or you know share this episode with a friend who who you think really needs to to know about Brienne and what she's doing thanks again for listening and we'll be back in a couple of weeks